Hello, Texans, and welcome to the show. I am back from vacation, vandercation, as I sometimes call it, because it's all about branding. And the general, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, is going to be with us tonight. Looking forward to that. He's making his way over. And while he does, I just want to tell you that I really enjoyed the show that I did a couple of weeks ago on the top 10 plays in Texans history. I'll review that a little bit with the general, and I will be able to rebut some of the rebuttals that John and Drew had in their program about it earlier this week. It's fun. It's summer stuff. It's light stuff. Look, it's time for football, but it's not time yet. It's still two weeks away from practice number one. Two weeks from today, they will have practice number one at the Greenbrier, and we will be there to cover it all for you. Not only on HoustonTexans.com, not only right here on Sports Radio 610 with Texans radio coverage, which will be live from the weekday practices, 8 to 10 a.m. Central. Don't forget about that, as well as Texans All Access every night at 6. But we will have Texans training camp today online. We'll have it on cyberspace, the intraweb, all over the place, all the social media outlets. Just look for it. And we're going to send you push notifications. You're going to know about all that coverage presented by Xfinity and Academy Sports and Outdoors, Houston Texans training camp on the road. Then they'll be back. They're only away for a couple of weeks this year. We won't review the schedule right now, but we will go over it plenty for you before it all starts in a couple of weeks. Okay, let's get him in here now from the Houston Chronicle, John McClain. General, how's it going? Mark, it's going great. Thank you very much. How are you? Uh, doing very well. I haven't seen you for a while, so this is great. I was on a little vacay, and uh, here we go. we got a couple of weeks until the first practice. A couple of weeks, General. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's, it is and it isn't. You know, it's funny because I thought this offseason was kind of zooming along but as it goes on, I'm thinking, no, I'm ready for it to end. Let's go. Let's get into camp. Let's get this thing underway. And I wrote a piece this week, and I know you've written a lot about the injury situation. I get asked about injuries more than anything else with this year's team because that's the whole story of last year, injuries. If they hadn't gotten so hurt, they would have done a whole lot better. We all know this by now. But is that the most common thing you get asked about involving somebody's injury, whether it be Watt or Watson or whoever? Yes, I think most people understand that Deshaun Watson's going to be ready, but because Watt didn't participate in the offseason program, there's more questions about him. And then the other one is Deontay Foreman. Yeah. Foreman is the one, other than Martinez Rankin, who could be put on PUP, uh, at the, at, of course he will be at the uh, – start a camp, and then he might be at the start of the season. But, but he can come off any time. Yeah, but De- Deontay Foreman, because of the nature of the injury, ruptured Achilles tendon, major surgery, unable to participate in the offseason program, and because of what he means to the running game, that's the one that people seem to be the most concerned about after J.J. What about running back, though? Are you concerned when you get past Lamar Miller? You really don't have a lot of proven commodity stuff there, other than Alfred Blue, who's good in a pinch, but – you want firepower there if you could possibly get it. And Blue certainly looked better last year at times, but is the consistency going to be there? You know, they'd like somebody to step up. If Foreman is healthy, then I don't think it's an issue. They don't have a great back, but they have serviceable backs, and we know O'Brien likes to run the ball a lot. And then the threat of Deshaun Watson running causes the defense to play differently. You know, they're – they're more spread out. They don't bunch up because they're worried about him, and that's why when he went down in practice, they were third in the league with 138 yards a game rushing, and they would have been second if they'd been able to maintain 138 yards. So I think the running game won't be great, but it'll be good enough in this offense. Let's face it, it's all going to be about 
the passing game and Watson, all the weapons he has. Yeah, and you and I talked two, three weeks ago about this, and you kind of scared me a little bit. Scared me, it's not really the right way to put it, but they're going to take it easy with him? They're not going to take it easy with them? How are they going to ease him in or not ease him in to the lineup, John, as far as practice itself goes and the preseason games? Do you expect Watson to be full go from day one, or will it still be sort of an easing in process? I think it'll be an easing in process. There's no reason to put him out there and have him do every single thing, although he could. I think Bill O'Brien, since he got here, has uh, erred on the side of caution when it comes to players coming back from injuries. And Watson is your most valuable commodity. There's no need to put him out there, as I use the term, going from zero to 60 the first day. I think with all the guys who missed the offseason program because they were rehabbing, I think they will have some plan for each one of them. Maybe remember last year, J.J., practice a day, take a day off. Practice two days, yeah. take a day off. It could be something like that. We're not going to know till we get to uh, West Virginia. But they'll have a plan for them. And, of course, everything is directed toward the opener in New England. And we're not going to see a lot in preseason about what they're going to do offensively. I think we know pretty much Romeo Cornell's philosophy and what he wants to do on defense. And I think because that Bill O'Brien, Sean Ryan, Kelly, all those coaches, and as well as Deshaun Watson, and Brandon Whedon have been trying to come up with new ways of being creative to try to take advantage of Watson's skill set and the skill set of their players uh, at wide receiver and tight end. You know, John, while we're on the subject of Watson, which is a popular subject this offseason, I did a show on the top ten plays in the history of the franchise, and I put Watson's run against Cincinnati in the top ten, and some people came back to me and said, how can that be in there? Is that even the best Watson play? And I just thought it might be the most memorable play of this past season, of his rookie run. I don't know if that's the case or not, but what do you think were the three or two or three of the most impressive plays that he made, in your opinion, in his six and a half games playing for the Texans? The one against Kansas City when he got the guy, he put the ball from his right hand to his left while the pass rusher smashed his right hand and tried to strip sack him put it back in his right hand, threw a 49-yard touchdown pass to Fuller. That was number one. The number two to me was the Seattle where Ryan Griffin missed a block. He got spun around at 180 and then threw a short touchdown pass to Lamar Miller. That was good. And another one was not even a touchdown. It was in New England when he rolled to the left Mm -hmm. and did what every coach will lose sleep over. He threw back across the field with a Patriot about to obliterate him. He threw it across the field, and I guarantee you the coaches are going, no, no, no. Ryan Griffin catches it, goes 37 yards, and Ryan said that the uh, DB Chung, Patrick Chung, is that it? Yep. And after he tackled him, go, what the bleep was that? Where did that come from? There was no way you were getting that ball. And Chung was just amazed that Watson could make that throw. And I thought that that just was so impressive. And the other one was a run, of course, but you don't. And, and it was big, and it beat Cincinnati. So uh, in Seattle, they lost. Kansas City, they lost. New England, they lost. But your play led to a victory. It did lead to a victory. And my context was this. It was his first start. It was a short week. You had to have that win. I know the season ended up being a disaster at 4-12 and anyway, but at the time, you just lost to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars at the opener in blowout fashion. 
plenty of doubt to go around. New England's up next. You're at Cincinnati in a short week, and you have no tight ends, and you're playing 7-0 linemen sometimes, and he comes up with a play like that to completely change the game around. That's why I said it. And, you know, it's funny because I think four of my top ten plays in the history of the franchise were against the Bengals, and you could argue that maybe another one or two should be in there. Well, number but, one has to be TJ's pass to Kevin Walter to win the first division. That's title. what it was. I named that the all-time best, even though it wasn't a remarkable play. Again, it's the context of the situation. And I know Drew and John are going to be in here tomorrow giving me a hard time about this because I was away when they did their show, giving me a hard time, so now I want to be able to rebut. And a couple of weeks ago, I did that show, and it's going to be in a podcast too. But anyway, I did make that the top. I made the touchdown pass to Billy Miller. I think that was fourth on the list. I didn't even put it in the top three because the Watt pick six against the Bengals, the Andre touchdown pass against Washington was so big because these are plays that we talk you about. Mean Andre? Did I say? You said DeAndre. I said the Andre. It might have come out as the Andre. That's the first one I thought about that led to the overtime victory. Yeah. That was that was fourth and ten. That was as good of play in a hostile environment to win a game in overtime. That to me there's never been a bigger or better play considering he was covered. It was at the last possible instance thought instant that shopped through that ball. If he doesn't throw it, if he doesn't make the catch, it's over. It's over. Yeah. So that's a big one right there. And so I think contributing to a win is one thing, but also the context. And I had one play in my top ten from a loss. From a losing effort, do you think you can guess what that might be? Remarkable play. It was a defensive touchdown by J.J. in in the game against the Colts in 2014 where he recovered the fumble and ran it in. Not because it was that amazing a play. It was pretty good. But he picks up a fumble and rumbles into the end zone. And I just remember the roof about to come off the stadium at that particular point. I just think that everyone felt like the Texans were going to win that night after that. They did not. can't believe he didn't have one of his touchdown catches. I can't believe you don't have that Watson-Kansas City play on there. I know. In a loss, yeah, you're right. Because that cut it to 26-20, right? It was still winnable. It was just a great play. Now, if you're talking about great plays, regardless of the outcome, well, regardless of what it meant to the franchise, yep. just a great football play, yeah. to me it would be right up there behind Andre's catch at Washington. I, I think when you go remarkable plays, no matter what the context, there are so many you can choose from, so many Arian Foster plays, Andre Johnson plays. I mean, th- there are a lot, but I had to have numerous things come into play. Was it a win? Was it a big win? Was it a big moment? Was it a moment that we'll never forget? Was it a play that we'll always talk about no matter what? If the Texans go on to win the next three Super Bowls, you'll still talk about Andre Johnson's fourth and ten because it was that remarkable. So that's how it's got to stand up. It's got to stand the test of time. That was my my basis for the criteria. Anyway. You know what will end up being the biggest play in franchise history when somebody makes a play that clinches an appearance in the Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah, like a late stop or a touchdown catch to put it out of reach Field or goal, something. Or even a big first return, down. Run out the clock, baby. Run out the clock, yes. That'd be great. We'll see if they could pull that kind of thing off. All right, so training camp starts in a couple of weeks, General. And what are you looking for right away? I think where they line up and how they line up and maybe who's lining up might be the biggest one because you want to see Nick Martin get out there. You mentioned Deontay Foreman. You expect him to start on PUP. But you get my drift here. A lot of it is going to be who's healthy, who's out here, and then you go from there. And then how they use them, meaning what does Watson actually do? And when J.J. comes in, what does he actually do? 
everybody's curious about the offensive line. Well, it's going to be it's going to be Henderson and Davenport and and uh, uh, Calmente and uh, Fulton and then Martin. I'm assuming Martin's going to be ready. You know, he's recovered from ankle surgery twice, and they really need him. But I have a lot of people. In fact, I was asked this morning by a gentleman who introduced himself. First thing he asked, I was waiting for Watson or Watt, and he asked about the offensive line. So that's mm. a concern with all Texans fans, anybody with an interest in the team. So watching them line up. And then the other one I'm curious about, when Romeo was a coordinator two years ago, Clowney was primarily an in. Last year, Clowney was primarily an outside linebacker, who, of course, moves around and does both. But will he be an outside linebacker? who drops down, or will he be an end who stands up? I think he does both. I think he's going to do both for Romeo Cornell. They're going to move him around. They're not going to let you know. In the training camp, they're going to line up however they line up. And there's something very important about that because if he plays more snaps as an outside linebacker than a defensive end and he doesn't sign a new contract and they franchise him, there's a discrepancy between those positions about what the franchise fee is. But doesn't a good agent go in saying, listen, I know what you call him. Like Gronkowski, I know what you call him. But it's about the production, right? It's about the impact well, yeah, on the game. Yeah, but if you're a franchise, if you're going to be franchised, they got to know, the league has to know what to classify you. So yeah, they good have to point. go back and watch film and count every single snap. Good point. Clowney's the holder for extra points and field goals all of a sudden. He may be supposed to be down at the last instant. He stands up on his own. He can be paid like the top five holders, okay? That's who he is. All right, the general stays with us. We mentioned defense. Let's talk a little bit more about that. How's that going to look, especially compared to the rest of the AFC South? And Let's bounce around the league a bit here on Texans All Access. He visits just about every Thursday. John McClain, the general from the Houston Chronicle, he would have been here last Thursday, but we were out. The building was kind of shut down. Week of the 4th, the building kind of closes. We were doing best of shows, summer celebration last week. Thank you, Johnny Harris, for handling that. The general is here tonight in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mark Vandermeer with you. Let's talk defense a little bit here, John. We've talked about it a bunch this offseason, but the more I look at it, the more I think that if healthy, they can push – for, look, I can't have them unseating the Jaguars as the best defense in the division. But let's just start with Tennessee. Can they pick off Tennessee with some decent health here? Let's say two of the top three pass rushers healthy, and you take it from there. There will, there. I think this defense can be great if it stays healthy. If you think of, if Clowney's a linebacker, Clowney and Merciless, is there a better twosome? No. If you look inside with McKinney, Cunningham. And Cole, Cunningham and Cole coming off good rookie years and very good off seasons, according to Bill O'Brien. Is there a better group of linebackers? Four, four, five deep. I don't think that there is. And if Watt's able to play a full season, say Reader plays the nose, you know, who's going to be the right end? Or if Brandon Dunn continues to play well the way he did last year, maybe Reader's a right end in the three-man front. So then you have... Three new safeties with uh, Tyron Matthew and Justin Reed and Kareem Jackson and one new corner and Aaron Colvin, a healthy Kevin Johnson, and with a pass rush that was missing last season, other than Clowney, that'll make the secondary 
even better. Injuries will play a role, of course. But I'm thinking the Jaguars, who had one serious injury, and the Texans had 13 starters on IR, somehow that's got to even up. And I think that's one of the things that may help them. Look what's going on in Jacksonville with Marcel Darius. You know, he's got two mm. women accusing him of sexual assault, and that could cause him to be suspended, could cause him all kind of problems, and he's a very valuable men- member of their front seven. And I just think this defense, if it can be number one two years ago with Watt missing 13 games, imagine how good it can be with the addition of all the talent, Cornell coming back, a good offense where it's not going to be on the field all the time, I just think it's got a chance to be special, not just not giving up yards, but impacting the game, helping to win games, turnovers, shortening the field, score a few touchdowns, don't commit as many penalties, things like that. You know, there were some big free agent acquisitions by teams this offseason. You look at Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. You look at Kate Keenum in Denver. Do I call that big? Well, it's a quarterback acquisition, and if they have a big turnaround as a team, he's going to get a lot of credit for it, assuming he plays well. And I don't think that's too much of an assumption right now. But the point is this. Tyron Matthew, if it goes swimmingly, and it certainly could, he could be up there as the most game-changing free agent acquisition. Now, you're going to get Watt and Whitney back. So if they're playing a bunch and Matthew's playing great, it might be credited to their appearance, their return as well. But if he plays great and gets picks and looks like he did in 2015 – you got a heck of a story on your hands here. This could really work out extremely well. It's it's kind of like the offensive line in that you need everything to break right. The defense should be a lot better than that. But the point is this. You need health to break right. And if healthy, they should be able to make a ton of plays. They should be could, – could be the best defense in the NFL. I don't know wow. how anybody can dispute that based on what we've just talked about. Clowney, White. Merciless, Matthew. I mean, they've got McKin- they've got some good talent. They need a little more depth, but uh, I I think the defense is going to be good and it'll help, of course, because O'Brien's going to run the ball a lot. They're going to score a lot of touchdowns, so the defense is not going to be worn down. The defense has always been good against the run, even when it was stinking it up last season against the pass. No pass rush. They still gave up fewer than 100 yards a game rushing i believe and i think now with all those guys back they will shut down the run and i i the more i think about it the more fired up i am i wish they could just skip the preseason <laughs> which of course is a total waste skip the preseason and just get ready to go to foxborough i like the preseason i'm in the minority of people who yes, enjoy the are. preseason mark vandermeer mother's daddy's girlfriends husbands and kids i uh y'all the only one that cares no, it's a hey, the TV ratings prove that people definitely watch. I'll put it that way. They definitely watch. Care might be a different kind of word, but I think they do care. If they watch, they care. They watch I think the other you teams. You put do anything it. on TV, it says NFL, and there's going to be a section of the <laughs> public that's going to watch it because it's the NFL. It's a big section. It's as big as people watch the American League Championship Series and the Western Conference Finals. It's that big. It's a pretty big chunk. Secondary, John. Give me your nickel starters here. Outside, you're going J. Joe and Kevin Johnson in all likelihood? There's a chance Aaron Colvin could start outside and then go inside in the nickel and bring in J. Joe. So that would be the three corners. Remember last year, I mean, even when Romeo was here, they don't do a lot of nickel. 
they have times one lineman on the field. What if you're counting Clowney as a linebacker? Right. And they have like six DBs, four linebackers, and one lineman. They do that. They move them around. Remember when you'd see Clowney over the center, Cushing over the center. Yep. And that's why when you got you can get all those three safeties on the field. And that's going to be exciting. Matthew, I think Justin Reed is going to be really good. I think he's going to start opposite of Tyron Matthew. And uh, so I think that uh, you'll have the three safeties, the top three corners, four linebackers and Watt in a lot of passing situations. Top three corners and maybe Kareem. Well, Kareem's now that he's at safety full time, he's going to be – you know, he's a safety who can play corner instead of a corner who can play safety. If they're in dime a lot, then you have Kareem, Reed, and Matthew. In, yep, and they'll find a way to get Kareem Jackson on the field. I don't think he – and injuries, of course. Right. Kevin Johnson needs to have a full season, not injured. Then he's got a chance to play well, get a new contract. Right. They showed a lot of faith in him by picking up that fifth-year option and paying him $9 million. But he's got to stay healthy. His style of play – it's not conducive to staying healthy because he's so uh, he's so physical, and maybe Luke Richardson and the new sports performance staff can put a little have put a little meat on him, and not to mention help him get stronger. And uh, but you can't have too many defensive backs, as you know. And if Andrew Luck comes back and stays back, and Mariota stays healthy, and Bortles improves, those DBs are going to be so important. Well, affecting this defense, all defenses, all 32, the new helmet rule, and I mentioned that I get asked about injuries an awful lot in my travels, but the helmet rule has come up. A lot of people wondering what is going on with the game of football. They don't quite understand the helmet rule, but they've read stuff to the effect of, oh, you can't tackle the same way anymore. It's going to be completely different. Or NFL football is going to evolve in the next 10, 15, 20 years into something more like flag. You see flag football on television now. NFL Network is televising it just doesn't look right to me on TV. And I'm a big flag football proponent. I'd love flag football. Your kids should all play flag football. But seeing grown professional athletes playing flag football just looks strange to me sometimes on TV. I wouldn't know. I don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> as far as the helmet rule, remember, they they talked recently. You know, they, they waited really late to get out the definitive rules on, on the, the targeting and then there's there is incidental contact, so in other words, it's it's if you use it as a weapon is one thing, but if there's incidental contact, what if a a guard comes off and he's planning to use his shoulder, and the offensive lineman slips and their helmet's hit, are they gonna throw a penalty there? And so much of it, Mark, is subjective. I feel so bad for the officials, and they've got so many new officials trying to officiate at a time when the NFL is more complicated than any time in its history. Yep. I think we'll, we'll, um, they might have been better to hang on to all those guys that left, if possible, to keep them around for another year while they, make, they transition into the new rules. Such a fast game. Would you be in favor of a review system where – Challenge-wise, it's not like you're going to stop the game every moment. It feels like that in college, and sometimes when I'm watching professional basketball, that they can stop it for almost anything. And then when you want them to stop it for something, they say they can't review that. All right, I don't know. It's just one of those deals. But in the NFL, I would be totally in favor of I can challenge a pass interference call. I can challenge it. I can use one of my challenges. 
on that call. Now, not a non-call, so I guess that kind of stinks if you feel like you got mugged and they didn't throw the flag. I think they would start throwing flags if you could challenge them. Maybe they'd err on the throwing the flag side of things, if you know what I'm saying. Just kind of like they let them play to the whistle because they know they can always go back and they'd hate to wipe out a would-be touchdown because of a bad call. What would your opinion be on that challengeable pass interference and some other calls that we don't see challengeable right now? First of all, I'm for challenging any play you want to challenge, but you don't get any more challenges. Therefore, the game doesn't slow down. Yep. I think there's too many things that we see that are wrong, and they go, oh, that's not reviewable. Uh, I think if uh, if, if Bill O'Brien wants to challenge any play on the field. Holding. He should be able to do that. And if and he's limited, and if it doesn't work, he loses his timeout. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty good. And here's the argument to support that. When the challenges started, they didn't have all of this where you automatically review every turnover. You automatically review every score. You would have to throw your flag to get those things reviewed. You don't have to anymore. So really, you have more challenges available to you than you used to. They do it for you now on turnovers and scores. So those other instances, now we're adding to it with different penalties that would be reviewable, but I'm all in favor of that. I think it helps the game. You want accuracy to prevail here, and I know it does kind of slow the game down, but now they take commercials. They're doing those box in the um, in the screen where you can run the commercial and see some not quite action but see a piece of the field at the same time so you're not quote going away those kinds of things I just hope it doesn't slow down the game like yep. you mentioned basketball even baseball now mm-hmm. they review more um, and they're all uh, I don't know why the officials all got to get together when they're making it at New York right why can't they just stay in their spots mm-hmm. in New York tells the home plate umpire, for instance, good or bad, yes or yeah. no. And that's it. They don't need to all walk over and stand there to get a signal. Right. It makes no sense. Well, I think communication is difficult sometimes. Maybe you want some opinions or whatever. Uh, with football, sometimes you get the, well, we're going we're gonna to turn this down or we're going to go ahead and overturn this, but we need to know where the clock is, you know, where it should be or whatever. And I get all that. But I'm, a, I'm with you. Sometimes it's so obvious where it's easy on your couch. I, know, I understand that. But it's so obvious. Just, okay, let's move on. All right, that, that was a good call. Let's move on. You shouldn't make it a big federal investigation every single time. But we all want the game to be more accurately called. There's no doubt about that. And I think the coaches would really be in favor of that. You know, they'd, they'd love to challenge everything. Yes, they would be able. And they'd like to have as many challenges as they could. They, well, they'd like to have – no, no losing timeouts. Yeah. Just challenge that. Those flags would be raining flags out there. Unlimited Maybe timeouts, like, like so an NBA much. game where you have unlimited timeouts. <laughs> it feels like that. You know, every time I look at the little timeout insignias, the little hash marks or whatever they are using in their graphics package on an NBA TV broadcast, it's four of them, and we got a minute to go in the game. But they might use all four because they need to advance the ball. Don't get me started on NBA changes I would make because I could do an entire program on that. John McClain is on for the entire program. And coming up, let's go around the league. Oh, another rule change we didn't get to and an official weighed in on that. It's coming up on Texans All Access. John McClain stays with us here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mark Vandermeer with you on Texans All Access. Okay, General, 
There's going to be an officials clinic in Dallas this weekend. Terry McCauley, former NFL referee, he's an analyst with NBC now. So this is a big popular thing. Of course, we've talked about this previously with referees, officials, helping out the TV networks. Excellent idea. But he says the kickoff change may be the biggest change he's ever seen, the kickoff rule change. And this is something that is going to be very interesting to watch. We talked about it with Brad Seeley. I'm sure he wants to see how it's going to work out. These preseason games, this might be the most important thing that the coaches see in the preseason games. Never mind everything else, how the rookies are looking, how the kickoff rules play out in an actual game environment because that's the best look they're going to get prior to the regular season. The really good coaches like Brad Seeley should have an advantage because they're good coaches and get a jump start on taking advantage of the new rule, mm-hmm. assuming you got the players to do it. And there will be others that have to lag behind and watch and see how the the ones at the head of the class, how they have adjusted to it and succeeded with it. And, you know, the Texans' coverage and returns have been horrendous. And I think Seeley, who's regarded as one of the best special teams coaches ever, and Texans are his eighth, co- eighth team in 30 years, and he's got three rings from the Patriots. And, and I can't wait to see what's coming with their coverage and return teams with Brad Seeley. It's not about the kicking or the holding or John Weeks being the best snapper in history, but I think this, we're all going to be watching them because we're all interested to see if Seeley can do what Bob Levashevsky and Larry Izzo could not do, and that's turn around these special teams. There's still time for them to change or adjust the roster, obviously, a lot of opportunities. Oh, you know that'll be adjusted. But heading into camp, it is what it is right now. Were you surprised in minicamp two punters, which they've done before, and only one place kicker? Did you think they might bring in some competition or something alongside Kaimi Fairbairn? I think that the bringing in Trevor Daniel has some has nothing to do with anything but Shane Leckler's age. Yeah. And the fact that he's not there's no need for him to get out there and wear out his leg in an off-season program or training camp. Okay, just to get a little extra work in. Just to, to give him a breather. And I did a story on Trevor Daniel at the end of the OTAs. It was the last one I did about why he would come here and get behind Shane Leckler knowing he wasn't going to win the job. And he said, opportunity to learn from one of the best. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was smart. And he also knows – Shane, I don't know when will be the end of his career, but you know he's like turning 52 in August. <laughs> so at some point he's going to be walking away. But to come here and be able to watch him and learn from him was very important to Dan- Daniel. Is it uh, Daniel or Daniels? Uh, I believe it's Daniel. Trevor, close enough. Trevor is good. I wrote Trevor about him. I can't good. remember. I All think... I remember is from University of Tennessee. I got Daniel. Okay. Daniel, yeah, that we'll, we'll stick right. with that. We'll stick with that one. Uh, along the lines of TV, because I mentioned McCauley being a TV commentator, Jeff Fisher is going to call a game for Fox. What do you think of Fisher as a TV analyst? Potentially? Well, I told Jeff last year he should go into TV because I thought he'd be real good at it. He's very analytical. He's smart. He knows the rules inside out. I've never seen a coach who knew the rules better than him because he was co-chair of the competition committee for years and uh like they know he's going to call that game there's going to be other games right. i thought he'd be good as a studio analyst as well and fox has spent a lot of money uh on the nfl again and they're looking for new blood and i think jeff 
Jeff's 60. I know he wants to coach again. I don't think he will coach again, and I think uh, this is a good way for him to stay involved in the game. What about Fisher? Look, I'm not saying he should do it, but if he really wanted to coach, would he ever be an assistant? Would he ever try to do that and be the emeritus associate head coach for a younger guy like a McVay coming in who might want somebody around that he can lean on? He was an assistant. He was a defensive coordinator for uh, in 1994. That's the last time he was an assistant coach. That's 94, 04, 14, 20 four years ago mm-hmm. and uh you know maybe he's had offers i don't know to do that for younger guys some young guys are worried about threats right and jeff made no bones about it he wanted another chance to be a head coach but i don't think that he's going to get that and i think now he'll be if this is the next part of his life i think he'll dive into it and something that i think's interesting and i don't nobody's asked me about it so i wouldn't try to defend it after watching what the oilers went through their last two years here and their first two years there, the transition. People look at his record during that period and rip him because he didn't have a winning record. I don't know anybody that had a winning record going through that. And the people that say that were not there. They yeah. don't have a clue. And then going through the same thing with the Rams last year to help get everything the transition where you're training one place, training camp's another, and then the games are another, and you're moving across uh, – halfway across the country. So there's a that's why uh, I would almost throw out those five seasons and look at what he did the rest of his career. And the reason he's not going to get a job is because he didn't win in St. Louis. Well, when you look at – and, look, I'm not going to make this a Jeff Fisher show here, but and I hate defending the Tennessee Titans or anybody associated with them, but this is just the way it is. When they drafted Vince Young, that might not have been his guy. Well, it was Bud Adams' guy. Right. But so, his guy was Matt Leiner. All right, so that might not have been a great decision. Vince Young did have a winning record as a starter as we look back. He did go 13-3 and with Kerry Collins also in 2008, Jeff Fisher did, so you have to give him some credit that. And aging Kerry Collins. I know Collins took three different teams to the playoffs, so good for him. And another thing that they uh, – he and Vince Young clashed from the get-go. Maybe if Matt Leinert there went there, his career had been different. Maybe they would have – decided the last minute to take Jay Cutler. But um, uh, I thought, I just, when I see people talking about that, actually last year I was on an NBC national show and they were ripping up Fisher and I pointed these things out. And the announcer goes, oh, well, I didn't realize all that. Hmm. I said, well, there's no reason you would. You weren't there. (laughs) You got to talk to the general about these things. You know, we've done shows, the what-if shows with the Texans, what if so-and-so doesn't get hurt or so-and-so, whatever the case might be. And there's a lot of what if Schaub doesn't get hurt in 2011. But what about what if – What if San Francisco had not traded up to get Alden Smith? Ooh, that's a big one. Who was y'all's first choice? But uh, I thought it was Peterson. Anyway, well, he was unavailable. But let me ask you this, John. (laughs) If Liner doesn't get hurt in 2011 – I wonder what happens. He gets hurt in the first half of his only start against Jacksonville, and T.J. Yates takes over. The rest is history. Does Liner do at least as well as Yates does, and maybe he doesn't turn the ball over in the Baltimore game? I don't know. Maybe he does worse. Who knows? But I think that would have been very interesting. I can tell you this. Liner's not making a a 17-yard scramble on third and 15 against the Bengals in December of 2011, but they might have won the division anyway. If you go back and look at Leinart's career in Arizona, there were some times early on where he actually played well. 
Yeah. And then they had firings and new systems and everything. And yeah. People wondered if his heart was really in football. And and uh, I I felt bad for him that he didn't get a chance to do something here when Shop suffered the injury. But uh, it did lead, you know, it made a hero out of T.J. Yates. My favorite meme ever was when Shop got hurt and I needed some cheering up. And somebody tweeted out the picture of Liner in the hot tub with all the co-eds whenever he shot that photo. Maybe he was already a pro at that point. But it just it was the photo of him and all the girls, and it said, Houston, I got this. And I just cracked up. <laughs> like, oh, we're in good hands with Liner. Okay. And the ladies love Liner. I mean, I was at an event with Liner, Schaub, Yates, a bunch of tech. It was a fashion show. And women were flocking to liner just to get his autograph and stuff i mean it was all on you know on the up and up and everything it was just hilarious though like you know all the rest of the guys are standing over there like yeah we're professional football players too but they like liner for some reason i don't think the women were going to flock to matt and tj (laughs) not exactly plus they were married and had kids and matt was yeah yeah not exactly i don't know if tj was then but uh whatever he was a rookie imagine you talk about a big man on campus liner at usc i wonder why he wanted to stay another year Remember yeah. his first house in Arizona had a slide from his bedroom down into the swimming pool? That had to be where the hot tub shot was taken. Uh, John, we were talking about television stuff. Okay, so the L.A. Chargers, I almost said San Diego, but stay with me here. The L.A. Chargers add Daniel Jeremiah to their broadcast team, and I like Daniel. He used to work with us a little bit here. He was sort of a contractor with us. He's been a scout for a couple of NFL teams, so good for them. But Dan Fouts is off their preseason TV broadcasts. He was in a radio interview recently, and they said, L.A. Charger Hall of Famer Dan Fouts, and he said, don't call me an L.A. Charger. I'm a San Diego Charger. They don't like that because they're really trying to embrace Los Angeles. But I kind of like that Fouts is so loyal to San Diego. Also, they hired LaDainian Tomlinson to do that preseason TV, and they they said – that Dan didn't he had time restraints and if he was able yeah. to make the time in the future that the possibility he could come back. But he's not coming back. And um that's too bad because, you know, Dan's one of the top analysts on T V and has been for years. And it's it's too bad it had to end like that. People are so uh sensitive. And I can understand mm-hmm. the Chargers being that way because all the people picking them to win that division, it's hard to win a division when you're playing 16 road games. <laughs> Even in their own stadium. Well, it's so big, you can't expect them to sell that out. Oh, wait a minute, it's only 27,000 seats and they can't sell it out. The opposing they teams, don't fans, have many it. fans. Yeah. I'm wondering, when they move into the new stadium, unless they've won two Super Bowls, uh, how are they going to get 80,000 people to come there? Well, tell me this, John. A lot of people are picking them to do pretty well this I year. Know. Why is that? Well, I guess because Phillip Rivers and Melvin Gordon. Well, and they've yeah. got the D2 defensive ends, Ingram and Boza. But they still are playing without a home field advantage. If any other team in the league didn't have a home field advantage, would you pick them to win a division or make the playoffs? Yeah, no. probably not. It's almost like they suspect that they've adjusted to it, but that that is frightening for them to know they don't have that that proverbial three-point advantage when you play at home. And every time they played there, not only do you have no crowd noise, they said that the opposing team, in most instances, had more fans than they did, especially when it was from big cities. By the way, you know I love a Dan Fouts reference every once in a while, even though he was the man who threw four interceptions against the Oilers in the 1979 
divisional playoff game that was one of the greatest – well, it was the greatest pro football win in the history of this city. But, John, Dan Faust, is he remembered properly? Was he better than people remember? Do they not remember him well enough, or is he properly labeled? Dan Fouts was quarterback of some of the greatest offenses in history. Got two AFC championship games. It wasn't his fault they didn't get to the Super Bowl. And he is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's one of the most prolific quarterbacks in history. But when you talk about top ten quarterbacks in history, he's not on that list. Yeah. I believe he would be like in the top 20. I think that's a fair place to put him. But he was my favorite. It's kind of like Jimmy Page is my favorite guitarist ever. But I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's the best rock guitarist ever. Who do you think is better than Jimmy Page? Jimi Hendrix. I think Jimi Hendrix is the best rock guitarist ever. And I think Page is right up there. It's very hard. It's subjective, obviously. I, I mean, I love him. Santana. I love Page. I, I love Jeff Beck. I saw Jim person. You saw who? Jim I. You did? You saw Zeppelin? No, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, you did? Jim what? Yeah. Where? Dallas. Oh, my gosh. I saw Led Zeppelin in Dallas, and uh, we used to have to go from Waco to Dallas or Houston, but we mainly went to Dallas. Was that Reunion Arena? Yes. No. This was uh, their old Coliseum there. There was no Reunion Arena. Wow. That's a while ago. Hey, one more entertainment. People threw firecrackers uh, during the middle. You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, of course, everybody's dropping acid and smoking pot and whatever else, and here come firecrackers while you're trying to listen to the bands but somehow added to the atmosphere oh my gosh i'm sure it did general uh one more entertainment note for you tom cruise top gun reboot not a reboot it's actually a sequel i guess it's called maverick is this a good idea isn't it a little late for this i love the mission impossible movies keep doing those but ooh, top gun well it's you know he's now he'll be what 55 years old yeah but he's a very he'll young be a 55 boss. And so uh, Anthony be the Edwards' old guy. kid is one of the Top Guns. So will Tom Cruise have a kid? Oh, it's like Creed. Who's, yeah, who's buddies with uh, Anthony Edwards' kid. And will mm-hmm. Meg Ryan have a kid? So there's all kind of possibilities. The key is... Val Kilmer's coming back as Iceman. And, and that Val Kilmer, and I say this with all respect, mm-hmm. is going to have to lose a lot of weight if he wants <laughs> to get in the cockpit. And... Uh, and you know the Kelly McGillis. Is Tom gonna have a no. romantic interest? Yeah, great song by Berlin. The, there's a lot of and in the Kenny Loggins song. Yeah, you know, people forget there was two great songs in Top Gun, and I I've seen it when it comes on. I'll flip it on and watch it. And this one, I'll check it out. I didn't think Creed. I didn't have any idea Creed would end up being great, and it was. And they're and doing I can't the wait to Creed see two. the next one. Absolutely. Strong was great, too. What do you have going on in the Chronicle? Texas Sports Nation, Aaron Wilson and I have been doing stories every day uh, on the Texans and twenty nine ninety five a year. And then we're getting ready to go to training camp. And uh, thank you very much. And I will see you next week. All right. That's General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. Read his stuff at HoustonChronicle.com. And you can hear this show again on HoustonTexans.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. I'll be back with you tomorrow night with John and Drew. We'll have some fun. Let's do it. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great night and go Texans.